Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Chris Evans here, and welcome along to the best of the Breakfast Show podcast with Sky from Virgin Radio. Coming up, acting's finest Mark Rylance. Does it get any better? Swings by with stories from his new golf-themed film, The Phantom of the Open. Exercise King Joe Wicks bounces in with his latest book, Feel Good Food. Rising star Simone Ashley shares all about season two of the Netflix smash hit Bridgerton. Plus, comedy legend Sir Lenny Henry joins us ahead of this year's Comet Relief Red Nose Tele Extravaganza and Virgin Radio's very own Kate Lawler, the mighty Lawler. She of drive time, spilling the beans on her brand new book, Maybe Baby. All of that and so much more to come. So, Vassos, do tell who's up first. There's a very simple rule. If our next guest is in it, you just know it's great. And that's especially true of his hilarious, heartwarming new film, The Phantom of the Open, in cinemas from tomorrow. So, please welcome a man who's swapping Wolf Hall for a golf ball. It's Mark Rylance. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. What a film, Mark. What a film. Congratulations to you and all your friends that are in it and all your pals who produced it and made this film. How do you, I've asked it to other actors before, Mark. How the heck do you lot, all you actors and all the people involved in your profession, how do you move us in such a way and to such an extent? This film is awesome. Do you mean like move to laughter or just to tears? Both. Both, because it's so, it's so gentle and so nuanced, but it's so profound, this movie. Well, I, I used to certainly think when I was a younger actor, I had to move myself, but you, you, you just try and be as real as possible. Life is very moving, and, but you do try and focus on the audience's imagination, and it's always a little bit more moving when people are resisting tears and trying to hold themselves together than... When they release themselves, it's just a release. With laughter, laughter's always... I once did a stand-up improv in Leicester Square with the comedy store, and um, they warned me before we go out, don't try and be funny. Just It's just surprise that makes people laugh, that it's going one direction and it goes in another direction. I forgot it, of course, as soon as I was <laughs> completely panicked. That's a lovely answer. That's the best answer I've ever heard. Uh, you're quite right. It's when people are trying to hold it together and they're on the brink. Right, so let's frame this film for people who um, aren't aware of what goes on in it. I suppose the easiest way to do that is to say what happened when Mark Rylance met Morris Flitcroft. Are you asking me? Yeah. Uh, well, it I is. Never, I'm afraid I never met him. Uh, you, can, you can see him on YouTube, though, if you go and Google no, him. No, Mark, I meant as a character, for heaven's sake. Oh, as a character? Yes. I'll put it, I'll put it more simple. Uh, who's, who's Morris Flitcroft? What did he get up to? What's your film about? Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's all right. Uh, um, well, Morris Flitcroft was a crane driver in, in Baron Furness, and in the 70s, he was made redundant, as a lot of people were. And he'd spent his life encouraging his twins, particularly to, to train to be disco dancers, which they had great success at, and encouraged other people too. He was a bit of a loner, and when he was uh, 
made redundant, he decided to take up golf. He, they just got a color television recently, and he was absolutely fascinated by the color images of golf tournaments. But he couldn't get into a golf course, so he just practiced on school playgrounds and on the beaches. And then he thought, in a rather innocent way, maybe I'll apply for the British Open. And through a kind of divine administrative error, something we all hope for in our lives, he was, uh, he was admitted to the British Open, and he proceeded to score the worst score that's ever been uh, chalked up, 126 over the 18 holes, I think it was. And, uh, and despite everyone's amusement and uh, declarations that he was the worst golfer in the world, he didn't see it that way <laughs> at all. And that's the kind of wonderful thing about him. He, he doesn't let other people define him. He's, he's absolutely solid about what he, his view of himself is, and he's not going to be deterred from it. Yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic story. So gentle, but it's it's a true story. This happened in 1976, and it didn't just happen the once, did it, Mark? No. Well, then the British Open, who were having great trouble because the, all the golfers were going to the three American Opens, which had superseded the original British Open. They were having difficulty getting the big stars, Jack Nicklaus and, uh, you know, all these people to come over. And so they were extremely ba- uh, embarrassed by this administrative error and by Morris. And they, they banned him from playing on any, over a technicality of from playing on any golf course in the nation. But he gets around that, and that's another wonderful aspect of it. He's, uh, he's defiant against authority, but in the most uh, hilarious and creative way. And uh, Sally Hawkins plays his wife. And, um, you know, again, true story. Everybody, uh, there's, most people that are in the film uh, really did exist. Um, uh, tell us about Sally's character. Well, Sally, yeah, is quite very, very devoted uh, Wife, they, he, he was quite a loner. They didn't have a lot of social life. She would go once a, a week to bingo. Um, she adored him. And uh, if, if you're going to have anyone adore you on a screen set, it's not much better than Sally Hawkins. She's just a completely devoted actress. So she, I think she does a wonderful job of bringing his wife to the screen. So how was your golf pre, during and post the making of this film, your golf. <laughs> Up to scratch for this part. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I think you got an all right swing by the end of it, which is sort of a, a reflection of what happened to Morris. <laughs> I, I, I sent balls flying all over the place. I never hit a camera, which happens in a film. But uh, there was one occasion when I, I hit a ball and it flew up much to my amazement and landed on the green a few yards from the hole. I, I absolutely caught the bug then. I thought, oh, my, I see what this sport is about. Uh-huh. But, uh, but uh, I, don't, I don't think I'll be taking it up. So where did you, make, where did you film the, the golf scenes? Because obviously somewhere in America and other parts of the world, or seem to be in America and other parts of the world. I was trying to recognise the golf because I got very nerdy about it all. Well, it was the first film I made during uh, the pandemic right. in, in the autumn of the first year of the pandemic. And so it was, it was a very bold bit of producing from the producers. And, it, it, you know, it was complicated. We were late in the summer, so we had to be south. And we could, because of the uh, lockdowns and things, we couldn't go up to Liverpool and that area, Baron Furness, where it took place. So we filmed in the south uh, on some Lynx courses and uh, even were able to simulate America. Uh, on a golf course somewhere in England. Well, what I like about it, Mark, is that there's a real innocence about it. There's a real vulnerability about it, but there's also massive stoicism going on as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can imagine it. Um, it was pretty tough when he was <laughs> he'd taken 18 shots to get to because he got trapped in the sandpit or something like that. Yeah, the, the other golfers they can get very angry if you're holding them up. <laughs> well, it was excellent. Did you keep the golf clubs? 
No, I haven't kept oh, the golf clubs. Oh, you should have kept the golf clubs. Um, <laughs> so cool. Mark, what else you got going on, quickly? Oh, I'm rehearsing a, a play that we did 10 years ago called, called Jerusalem. We're reviving a wonderful play called Jerusalem. And I've got another film coming out called The Outfit, which is a, a gangster thriller. And, of course, Don't Look Up is still out there playing around. Yeah, wow, that was a great film. I absolutely loved it. Mark, thanks for your time. Well done. Congratulations. And please come and talk to us again whenever you like about whatever you're up to. I'd be delighted. Thanks so much for your, your enthusiasm. I really appreciate it. Well, because it's a great film, that's why. Mark Rylance, uh, amazing. Uh, him and his Phantom of the Open team, uh, both behind and in front of the camera. It really is a great, great film. I encourage you to go and watch it. It opens tomorrow. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Whenever our next guest is on the show, we all sit up a bit straighter and suck in our bellies. He's storming up the bestseller charts once again with his 10th cookbook, feel good food and not content with that he's also planning a tour so please welcome the busy buff body coach joe wicks morning joe good morning guys oh joe joe so great to hear from you again congratulations on this book feel good food joe wicks over 100 healthy family recipes this is like your bible so far can you remember the first recipe you ever shared with the world my first ever recipe that i uh, filmed and shared on instagram was a really bland basic like Grilled bit of uh, cod with some leek and a bit of Greek yogurt and some lemon and like pepper mixed into it. It was, it was terrible. It was bone dry. It was horrible. But it was the start of Lean <laughs> 15 and the, my kind of in, in, insight into food, I suppose. Right. Now, this book is so comprehensive and it really is fantastic because you can like, look, look, everyone, you can have your beans on toast or you can have, um, how about this, creamy mushrooms, leeks and beans on toast. And it's healthy, Joe. Yeah, I've got a hundred. So I know I always say this, Chris, and it's so cliche, but this is really my best book, right? Because I've got a hundred <laughs> brand new recipes, and I've really created recipes that are, you know, family friendly, that are, you know, quick and simple. And I just think it's taking the foods that you wouldn't necessarily think are healthy. Like I've been making pies, curries, lovely, um, like chicken caprese burgers. I've been really, really enjoying the recipes, and so far the response has been fantastic to it. Now you know, don't you? Because you've done this before. Now you're not you're not a veteran, but you are. You definitely know uh, what you're up to nowadays, as far as the uh, cookbooks and, and recommending healthy recipes are concerned. But you have to test these out because um, very you know world famous chefs have come a cropper by putting out books, and then you know people buy the books and they they conjure up the recipes and they don't work. So tell us about your testing. Yeah, it's an important part of obviously the process, but obviously I. I'm always going to be quick, simple, very basic type, you know, cooking style. I'm not a trained like a Michelin star chef, but yeah, you know, we have, so I have a recipe um, tester who tests each recipe about three or four times to make sure they work and obviously bang on with the, the timings and whatnot. And then that's it. And then you get approved, they go into the book and then obviously the photography happens. We have a beautiful stylist that makes it all look pretty because I can make food look okay for Instagram, but nothing like they do in the book. Like, every image is beautiful. It's so important, isn't it? Because, like, again, chefs will always tell you that first and foremost, we eat with our eyes and our belly second. And um, and the photo shoots in the book, they look like you're having a right laugh. Now, these photo shoots, they can go on for hours. So you have to keep up the energy. You have to keep up the mood. And just tell us about that. Is it a party day? Because uh, you have to, you, you know, you can't push back against these things, can you? You've got to embrace a, a, a day in front of the camera. Oh, I'm there like I'm there probably for five or six days of, of the of the actual whole Whoa. I don't I'm not there in every single recipe but I love it because I it's the time I get to eat all the food from the book so I get to go with the kids or you know Rosie's sometimes there and we have a lovely shoot at the house and mate we're just eating all day like we have music <laughs> playing like amazing recipes and yeah it's my favorite part of, of the of the journey and the process of creating a book is the actual 
food testing and like yeah the photography I love it I am uh, loving all the recipes in this book there's a hundred and I like the fact there's a hundo uh, no need frying pan pizza that is no K-N-E-A D need frying pan pizza take us about that tell us about that it looks gorgeous yeah it's just like a really quick way of making like a dough that you basically just um, you haven't got to prove it and like mess around but you just sort of fry it in a pan it's really simple and these are the recipes that I like doing with the kids so things like you know homemade pizzas and lovely little kind of um you know, like granola bars or sort of treats that the kids enjoy. It's just like getting a, you know, getting a bowl in the kitchen, mixing things up, making a bit of mess. And I really believe that food is a great time to connect, to, to bring kids into the kitchen and to sit down as a family. Like I really believe that's an important part of family life. So I talk about that. And obviously the book's called Feel Good Food because I want people to get the connection between the food we eat and our mood and how it really affects our mental health. And that's really what the narrative of the book is about. Yeah, mood follows action, mood follows uh, music, and mood definitely follows food. There's no question about that. You know, I don't eat during the show, Joe. I'm a 16-8 kind of guy, uh, and this is not helping me at all with my hunger pangs. One tray meatballs with root, veg, and tomato broth looks absolutely gorgeous. Love the pasta dishes. Tell us what um, what might appear to be the naughtiest dessert in there, but again, it's still good for you. What's your favourite dessert? probably got to be the cheesecake you know i mean it's still a big treat you wouldn't have it every day but i think there's a lovely cheesecake recipe and there's a lovely um little like chocolate orange popcorn bites like um you sort of melt a bit of dark chocolate with some orange zest and some popcorn it's a really sort of lovely treat which you know it's still it's still a little bit naughty but again i love my treats so, like, i think balance is the most important thing and i'm not cutting those things out so feel good foods about you know food that's going to energize you that's going to make you feel happy and it's also going to give you and your family something to look forward to on the dinner table which is what i believe is, is important what's the highest number of um books your best-selling cookbook to date has sold oh the, the highest selling cookbook i've yeah. ever done yeah uh, it's my my first ever book the red one the lean and 15 book so i would have probably chatted to you in 2015 about that one and that was that sold 1.4 million copies. It's very hard to ever replicate that. It's like that was a once-in-a-lifetime moment, I think. Joe, I'm sorry, I disagree. I think this is going to smash that. This is a this is a fantastic book. I mean, the chocolate orange popcorn bites you just referred to. Again, you know, get the kids involved. You got look. If you've got a cupcake, um, uh, little piece of paper. What do you call them? Those holders. What do you call that that thing? Cupcake holders. Yeah, cupcake holders. If you've got the, if you if you bust those out in the kitchen, you're not going to be able to get rid of the kids because they know some fun's gonna gonna happen and they're gonna get some treats at the end of it. Man, Mango, coconut and lime sorbet. Got to tell you, Marvellous Mira, uh, our exec producer, she was um, she was applying some industry in the kitchen yesterday and she has conjured up your baked feta with roasted veg and pesto dressing. And I have it in front of me, Joe Wicks, and it looks gorgeous. And I would dive into it, but I'm 16, 18, so I can't. Uh, so Vassus will get a hold of that, I think. Oh, lovely. I'm glad she's had a little go at them. Yeah, the rest, look, honestly, the recipes are really good. And I think people that enjoyed the first Lean and 15 style of cooking, like, it is, it's all about speed and you know, batch cooking, mate, because when you're a family, like, it's hard, it's stressful, so you've got to do things that are quick, that you can batch cook, you know, bung in the oven, and I think that's the success of my books, that they are very simple recipes, and you are going to come away feeling a bit healthier, and in this case, you know, you can feel good, and that's what I want people to feel about their food. Right, Joe, well, you are awesome. Uh, don't worry about not making it into damn sure you will get to see each other again very soon. Uh, feel Good Food is out now, and just before you go, Joe, um, here we go, taste test from Vassos, uh, baked feta with roasted veg and pesto dressing from page 182 of Joe's book, and... As my granny used to say, delicious. Delicious. Oh, it's, oh, it's a little bit salty and it's a little bit sweet and it's just oh, it's lovely. I'm having more. Lovely, Joe. Right, we gotta lovely. go. Thank you, guys. Joe, lots of love, man. Have a great day. Thanks for having me on, mate. Take care. Cheers, bye bye. Bye bye. 
The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Our next guest is best known for her starring role in Sex Education, but all that's about to change as she <laughs> sashays from a hit Netflix show to the hit Netflix show. She's taking Bridgerton by storm in Series 2, which drops next Friday via Sky Q or Sky Glass. So please welcome the brilliant Simone Ashley. Morning, Simone. Hi, good morning. Welcome to the top of the tower. Thank you. Thanks for having you me. You the sunshine in the studio. We have the sunshine outside. The studio. I mean, it's we can't move for sunshine. All right, so tell us about the Sharmas in season two of Netflix. Who are the Sharmas? Where do they come from? What might they get up to? Well, so the Sharmas are the new family yeah. that we're introduced to in season two. Mm-hmm. Um, Shelley Conn, um, who's an amazing actress I got to work with. She plays Lady Mary. And her daughter is Edwina, who's played by Teresa Chandran, another absolutely gorgeous actress. Um, and they're blood related, but they're, that's my step, my Kate's stepmum and stepsister. So we come from India, return to London, and the plan is to protect Edwina and her family and to just um, set her off on a quest to find a true love match. So she's a dead. Yes. She is a Deb. Yes. Uh, in the true sense of the word, back in period. Uh, well, she's, uh, yes. And in Bridgerton terms, she's the diamond. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Nice sounds. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> However, um, uh, she, she needs to be protected because of who and why. Um, so, first and foremost, Kate, I think she's incredibly protective over her family. Um, there's um, a lot to the plan that we're yet to find out um, of Kate's intentions. The stakes are really high. It's kind of like um, an act of survival, I guess, for her family. But then not only that, she then meets Anthony Bridgerton, mm. who is the playboy of the ton, yes. basically. And Kate, I think, she she gets, she gets to know this quite quickly and she understands what he's like, what his character's like, what his intentions are, and it's just, it's a hard no. So what are his <laughs> intentions which you find, your character, Kate, finds so nefarious? So he, Anthony kind of just wants to tick the box and find no, a Hang one. on, hang on, that could mean many things, right? So tell us what this ticking of the box means. Yeah, absolutely. So he, as the Viscount, yep. he feels a lot of, a sense of duty, um, to find his future Viscountess yep. and he to protect his own heart, he wants to eradicate love from the equation. So it's more transactional. Exactly. It's more of a business affair. Yeah. And Kate's just like, that's not what I want for my sister. Right. Um, she believes in love in that sense and love for her sister. And um, so... So she's the gatekeeper to a sister's heart. Exactly. And Anthony sees this as a challenge and then that's when all the sparring kicks off. Um, and before we know it, he's courting Edwina and Kate's. It's like a minefield. She's trying to keep him away from her, kind of surrendering to the fact that maybe this might happen. And they're kind of, both of them are forced to spend a lot of time together. Mm. And um, one thing that I would say is, in the show, it is all about, you know, keeping up with appearances. People are watching, people are whispering, people are saying things. But what's so special is every time Kate and Anthony are on their own together, something happens. Yeah, exactly. And we can't really go any further than that, can we? No. I don't suppose. I really want to. <laughs> yeah. I really, really want to. Um, but I can't because it'll spoil it for people. Uh, but it's brilliant, is what it is. You might be able to guess. But if you can't, 
Um, well, if you think you can, you don't know if you're right or not until you watch the show. And Absolutely. I'm not going to say any more. Exactly. Because yeah, I'm almost too. saying too much, aren't I, Rachel? Intrigued. Yeah. <laughs> Did you watch the first episode of season two? I didn't get the link, but I <gasps> cannot wait. I loved series one and it blew up, didn't it? It was like their most watched show. It's only been overtaken by Squid Games. Did you watch series one did you love it and how did you feel to come into series two to a show like that i know yeah i mean i i started watching i heard of the series obviously everyone was talking about it i i saw everyone everyone in the cast's face everywhere um i knew what bridgerton was and then when i started auditioning for the role that's when i obviously gave it a watch and just fell in love with it what did you Um, think what were your initial sort of headline thoughts well, one, I thought Phoebe Dinova was just gorgeous. And she acted her socks off. I thought she was brilliant and brought something to the role and to the story that I, I think we'd never really seen before. Obviously, I thought Jonathan Bailey was, was awesome. What? Was what? Was, well, gorgeous inside and out. And yes. a brilliant actor, of course. Yeah. Um, and then, obviously, coincidentally, now I'm playing his, you know, potentially future love interest. Um yeah, I, Nicola Coughlin's brilliant in it. The whole, I, and you know what? What I took away from it was that this is a show that is about family and the value of that and the priority of having a, a love of family. And that's what I, I love about it. And you meet all these different families, the Bridgertons, Featheringtons, the Sharmas in season two. And I think it's uh, families that everyone can relate to and kind of want to be a part of. So so when yeah. I was reading up um, about this, I re- just read as much around it as I possibly could because it just helps with context. Um, I, I saw uh, a position within a uh, production company that I'd never seen before, which was the Intimacy Coordinator. Yes. Now, yeah. did you ever think you'd work on a show that had an int- Intimacy Coordinator? Were you aware that they existed? Uh, how has all that, how, how has that journey been? So, um, on Sex Education, from season one, which I think was back in 2018, we had many workshops with an Intimacy Coordinator right. and we were kind of taught what what the role of an intimacy coordinator is i didn't know that they how even long existed. have they been around for i don't you know what this is a complete guess i'm gonna say under 10 years right maybe six eight years yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's very new and um, and it's very useful to actors absolutely because it liberates you i think it should be like an obligation <laughs> i think it's 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 amazing what they do they create a safe environment you feel comfortable confident it's it, all the taboos are lifted you yeah. can have communication as to what we're doing uh, bridgeton series two <laughs> drops on netflix via sky q from friday the 25th of march simone great to see you thank you so well much. done congratulations it's coming to get you everybody bridgeton season two <laughs> be afraid be very very afraid and be ready okay once again Uh, Via Sky Q, it drops, all episodes drop uh, with Netflix Friday the 25th of March. Boom. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Vassus Alexander. Our next guest is comedy royalty, acting royalty, a best-selling children's author, a masked singer, and of course he is Mr. Comic Relief. He returns to our screens at 7pm on BBC One tonight to add to the billion pounds Comic Relief has already raised for good causes. It's Sir Lenny Henry. Good morning, Sir Leonard. Good morning, how are you? It's a we're, very lively show this morning, Chris. We're, we're up to speed, Lenny, can you tell? 
<laughs> oh my, how much coffee has been imbibed in that studio? Do you know what? Not much. Oh, <laughs> Seriously. Okay. We're on our, we're high on our own supply. You know how this works. You did Saturday morning television for a hundred years. It's amazing. I, I just, it's, I think you're, you must be on that green stuff. I can't remember <laughs> what it's called, but there's a green thing from the health food shop that you drink. You take it in the morning and then you stop at two o'clock the next morning. It's yep. sort of amazing. And that sounds what, that's what your show sounds like. Do you know like. what? I take it every morning. It's called Athletic Greens and it has 75 natural <laughs> supplements in it I and mean, we have it every day uh, Lenny you know once again um, comedy royalty there you are um, comedy relief raised over a billion quid we say this every time you're on it must be nearly two billion now we've been saying over a billion for years how, how much are we up to do you know what the stats I think, get, I think we're getting there but we don't really what we're, what we're more concerned about is people enjoying the show yep. and giving what they can because we're not in a time where people are kind of chucking their money about obviously every, every time you give it means something and it's not just something to be thrown into a big pot. So we really appreciate the brilliant British public and how much they give to us every year. And we're not going on about how you know the, the final thing, because actually it's what's happening now. There are so many things that we need to contribute to people with mental health issues, young people, shelter, safety, poverty in the UK, food poverty. You know, the thing with Ukraine, refugees, there's a lot of things to be helping out with. And that's what we're doing this time around. And it's an amazing effort that the British public make every year. Yeah, no, I get that entirely. When we do our auctions, we've got another for Ukraine uh, next week. People in the past have got hamstrung with, you know, an expectation of the outcome. It's not at all helpful. What is really helpful, as you say, is getting behind um, whatever's going on at the time. You know, doing doing what what you can. can, whether Whether it's five quid or whether it's 50. It's it's just brilliant that you chose to give uh, at that moment in time. There's a lot of need in the world. And what's great is that if the world is a street and something bad is happening over the street, you go over there and help. And that's all this is, except it's with money from the back of your purse or your wallet and um, or the sofa. Yeah. Just give as much as you can, really. Yeah, beautifully It's going to be good tonight. I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be fantastic. But, uh, you know, what you alluded there to the fact that the, the way Comet Relief distribute the money, it, it's forensic, isn't it? That they, they It's sort of really sort of surgical. They, they get every pound, they treat every pound as a super pound, and they put it to work to, to create as much real value in the world where it's needed as possible. I think, and what's great is there are so many the people, I have to say a big up to everybody that works at Comet Relief, everybody backstage not just the people on stage but everybody behind the scenes because the forensic quality that you're talking about is all down to them the people on the grants committee the trustees the editorial staff the producers they're all there thinking how can we move the public how can we get them to donate as much as they can afford and it's it's an amazing honor to be involved every year and there's so many great people involved this year you know david david Williams and Matt Lucas are doing rock profile and they're doing a whole bunch of new characters. Paddy McGuinness is on. Francis Saunders are in the repair shop. Judy Dench. We've got a whole bunch of A-list celebrities. Paul Rudd, Courtney Cox, Kerry Mulligan, Jamie Dornan, Jeff Goldblum, Chesney Hawks. I'm not quite sure how he fits in. Um, but um, there are so many brilliant people involved with the show and I have to thank them all because... If we can just get a bit of money, we can help out some great people. Yeah, Kylie Minogue, Jack Whitehall. By the way, uh, I can tell you how Chesney fits in, even though I'm not part of uh, the prep or the script or, or any of the production meetings. He's the one and only. I am the one and only. <laughs> of course he is. Yeah, but, yeah. He's, way, and he's such a nice bloke. He's too, amazing. He's really good. Uh, Vernon Kay and AJ Adudu, who I love, 
um, are presenting the prize Jorathon, so you'll be seeing your car later on. Lovely. Uh, Tom Daly's coming on, talking about his hell trip to Plymouth. And a lot of people think that Tom Daly is an Olympic athlete, so why wouldn't he be able to do a marathon and ride a bike and do a swim? But you've got to remember, he sort of jumps off a board and into the water and then swims to the side. He doesn't swim to the side for 24 hours. It's for like... 40 seconds. He's done this extraordinary thing um, for Comic Relief, and it's a, a real feat of athleticism. And similarly, Jordan North, who rode all that way from wherever it was to back to Burnley. I mean, extraordinary. And um, we, we're really looking forward to seeing they're going to be on the show tonight. Oh, also, we've got five people, Helen George, Tamsin Althwaite, Rosie Jones, Nina Wadger and Scarlett Moffat who've all trained to sing opera for a day. Love it. And they're going to be singing live in Love front it. of the opera audience with 80 quid glasses of champagne oh, tonight for Comic Relief. They've never sung opera before. It's, it's going great. to be wild. I think it's, it's so good. You've got to plump up your cushions, get in front of your telly tonight and enjoy this. So yeah. There's so much good stuff in there, you know, and the fact that they keep coming up with different ideas every single couple of years. Every, every year. Yeah, it's every year now, isn't it? Um, mm. So, Lenny, what do you, how do you feel on show day? Do you, do you get butterflies still and things like that? Well, you know, I mean, it's kind of a, a thing of, um, look at look at me, I'm talking to Chris Evans at eight o'clock in the morning. I feel like ready to go now and it's not till <laughs> seven o'clock. Sorry so about that. <laughs> you kind of have to kind of, you kind of have to slow your roll every so often because yeah. you want to be on now. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and because I, because I started off doing it in the morning, like you, you know, the show was over, Tiz was, was over by midday. Yeah. So, so, you know, you can't be going all day because you'll you pop your clogs. So um, I'm going to have a bit of a rest after I've done this and I've done a couple of other things. And then we're rehearsing all afternoon with Zoe and David. And then we're on. All right. Well, give my love to everybody involved, both uh, behind the cameras and in front of the cameras. You're all awesome. Uh, Lenny, I love you so much. Thank you Thank so you much. Thank you so much. And we're in Salford tonight with a live audience for the first time in two years. It's going to be lit. Super. BBC One tonight. Comic Relief. Red Nose Day. In the sunshine, my friends. And you can win our car. Eight double one double five. Uh, take a look at it now. 1965 VW Beetle. Fully electrified on our Virgin Radio website. VirginRadio.co.uk The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Over to you, Vassos. Our next guest is our great colleague, great friend, host of the mighty Virgin Radio Drive Time Show. And as of yesterday... A published author. Her brilliant first book, Maybe Baby, is out now and here to tell us about deciding to fill your nice, ordered life with nappies, (laughs) noise and no sleep. It's our matey baby, Kate Lawler. All right, Kate. What an intro. Thank you, Vassar. The book is great. Um, on the on the radio, you're always so honest, you're always so authentic, you're always so vulnerable, which is so cool. It's the way to be. Page 25. When someone asks me if I love the dogs or no more, I can swear to them, I love them both equally. <laughs> All equally. You've got to understand... <laughs> I've had Baxter for 11 years. He's like, he's my best friend. he might be listening. Baxter, he won't be, he's fast asleep. All he does is sleep now. He missed my appearance on Lorraine yesterday. Um, But yeah, I love love my dogs as well. Obviously, I love Noah um, intensely. And like, it's, I mean, the feelings I get when she communicates with me, like Mm. nothing I've ever felt before. And that feeling is like growing Every day. Every day she wakes up and does something new. And, and I'm just... you've got the next 40 years at least of your life and her life mm. to explain why, why you put that line on page 25. It's fine, isn't it? Listen, she, she'll understand. There's, there's nothing a therapist won't be able to unravel there. <laughs> 
I do love them. You don't understand how much love I've got for my dogs. It's so... And also the relationship between the three of them is just, oh my goodness, it's adorable. But and my dogs are like my kids. No, and might we, might we not be able to say, by the way, I'm backing you up on this, to be honest. Um, you know, without um, your doggies, Noah may not have come into existence. Sometimes I think if I didn't have dogs, maybe I would have changed my mind about having children sooner. Yeah. But I think also, that's, they feel... They, but they've shaped you as a person, haven't they? Mm, yeah, I think they teach you a lot about, you know, kindness, compassion, empathy, responsibility. And I really enjoyed being a dog mum for all those years before deciding to have Noah. And I, I honestly felt like... I was living a complete and happy and fulfilled life without a baby. But yeah. Noah has just added to it. I count myself... I, I look at myself now as a mum of three. I really do feel like I've got three kids. And Where does Bodge fit into that? <laughs> Hi, Bodge, if you're listening. Um... <laughs> I just honestly, I'm, I, I do not regret having Noah. I, I speak a lot in the book about <laughs> no, but there was a headline yesterday which was really unfair, saying I regret having my baby, and it's forget, like, come on, forget about that headline. We're, not here, to, we're not here to talk about that person who wrote the headline. All that headline. I know. Don't, don't worry about it. Let's but I don't, the, I don't regret joy. having her. She is like my of world. You don't. Yeah, that goes, that goes unsaid, Kate. Completely unsaid. Um, I'm probably too honest in the book, but I am an oversharer. And when I was approached to write this book, I just thought long and hard about how honest I. I should be and I thought mm. well I'm not the sort of person that's going to sugarcoat anything yeah. and I need to help other people in this position I am yeah. in and if I can just help one parent which I know I have because of all the messages I've received from people like even the other day someone said you literally saved me, which just made me want to Please cry. Please don't doubt yourself over this book. That's that's typical you, by the way, all over. This book is awesome. It's awesome and it is a game changer. And any book that helps one... You know, you help someone, you help everyone. That is the deal, isn't it? And mm. if you help more than one person, you help so many more people. Mm. Of course you do. Yeah. Absolutely, 100%. So no, no, no. And yes, 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 is what I'm saying. Um, as far as the Mighty Budge is concerned, I mean, he without him, it would have been a bit more difficult, wouldn't it? Of course, yeah. Yeah, I mean... It was... So, Bodge the Handsome. Yeah, Bodge the Handsome. Yeah. Um, For I people, mean... people who aren't aware, how did you come on each other? Because that, again, it's, it's not a dissimilar story. To... Maybe baby, maybe Bodge. You know, <laughs> it's not dissimilar, is it? Maybe everything, almost. <laughs> He's wonderful. I met him and I laid my cards out straight away. I said, look, I'm not interested in marriage or kids. Yeah. And he was like, calm down, we've only just met. This yeah. is a bit of fun for me as well. Uh-huh. But after a few years, you know, he asked me for some hope. And I said, I told you how I felt at the beginning. Yeah. And then followed like quite a few years of uncomfortable and awkward conversations because he really wanted to be a dad and I was still not ready. Uh, but thankfully... You know, a lot happened in 2020. You know, the pandemic forced our wedding to be cancelled. I'd gone to a fertility clinic, found out that I may go through menopause early and I didn't have many eggs left. And then I hit 40 and overnight something switched inside me and I felt like this new decade, like what what was in store for me? Like my 20s, I was so adamant that in my 20s I was going to party hard, mm-hmm. have all the fun, travel the world, drink all the drink, do all the fun stuff. <laughs> and I did and I loved that. And in my 30s I thought I want to meet somebody that I want to spend the rest of my life with. I want to get a dog and I want to buy a house. And I did that. And then I, overnight I was, I don't know, when I was suddenly I was 40, I just thought, I thought to myself... I'm ready for something new, but I don't know what it is. And he was like, it's a baby. It's definitely a baby. Yeah. And I said, well... It's a baby. Calm down. But he was, yeah, he was great. He, he, we, we went for it and first time, so fair play to Bodge. I've heard this story about, about, um, about the, the midnight polls that you held. <laughs> Tell us about the midnight polls. What, with my... With, so basically, yeah. I think I have 
you know, a lot of people to thank for me getting through uh, the hardest year of my life. And a lot of those people were my friends on Instagram. Like I would basically be winding Noah or feeding Noah or trying to get her to sleep. And I'd be on Instagram. I'd open the app at any hour of the night or day. And um, this army of women would be there entertaining me and making me laugh. In similar so, situations or yeah, just, just in similar situations right. or women who had had children and said, oh my goodness, it's so refreshing to see somebody normalise how, how you f- might feel. So it's like mum's net but Kate's net, if you like. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. And um, I did polls like, what did you call your boobs when you, you know, when you were how pregnant? Did that, how did that go? It Because I called mine Phil and Grant. Right. Because they were just big round things. And, you know, Phil and Grant from EastEnders yeah, have no, big no, round no. bald heads. Did you, do I need to explain it to you? I'm not sorry. Really, to be honest, not really. But some of the All responses, I was thinking is, you know... You looked who, puzzled. Who, no, no, because I was thinking about who's going to shout, get out of my pub. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. But some of the responses I had were hilarious. And also, like, the lengths you've gone to to not wake your baby. Yeah. Some of the responses I got, like, women were saying that they once um, held a nappy under their crotch so they could pee because they couldn't put their baby down to go to the bathroom women army crawling on their front to like get out of the room someone put glow in the dark stars on the creaks of the floorboards so that in the night they didn't step on the stars to wake the baby I mean played Scrabble in complete silence having silent arguments with lots of rude hand gestures the the responses just (laughs) cracked me up that's hilarious yeah lots of hand gestures and mouthing words that my favourite of those was somebody who got a latex glove, filled it with sand, and placed it on the baby's tummy? That's the best the one. The baby would think that because they, they, they couldn't sleep unless the hand was on their tummy. What a genius idea! Because well, they have fill gravity la- blankets, don't they? So yeah. it's, it's a gravity hand. There you go. Latex glove, fill it with sand. Make sure I mean, it's that tied is resourcefulness. Up. It is, isn't it? Yeah, that was one of my favourite responses. <laughs> All right, Kate's book, and can't you tell it's a cracker? Kate Lawler, maybe baby on the mother's side. It's serious. It's funny. This huge mascara. I mean, the last line. I'll give you a mascara warning if you want it. Here we go. You ready for this, everyone? <laughs> Here we go, Joe. There's so much going on with this book. Um, so many acknowledgements. So I, lo- I love that Kate's top tips. Ten things I now realise every parent should know. <laughs> ah, quick, read this. Why oh, don't you? Yeah. Uh, here we go. Kate, thank you for coming in. Uh, Your book is amazing. You're amazing. I hope you have a lifetime of happiness and I promise you now and always that there will never be a shortage of love around you. This is to Noah, her little girl. Thank you for teaching me to be more patient, that our mental health is as important as our physical health and that it's okay to ask for help. I've always believed the meaning of life is to be happy. So as Henry David Thoreau once said, go confidently in the direction of your dreams. Live the life you've imagined. Happy first birthday, Noah. I'm so lucky to be your mum. I am lucky to be her mum. I love her to pieces. We're lucky to have you as our friend. Thank Thank you, Chris. Thank you. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. So we've heard from a bunch of stunning guests already, but still to come, TV legend Timmy Mallet chats to us about his attempt to cycle clockwise around the UK in 100 days. Aussie Wonder Woman Sarah Kendall discusses season two of her sensational Sky Max show, Frayed. TikTok superstar and Eurovision hopeful Sam Ryder joins us ahead of representing the UK in the 2022 contest this May. F1's finest David Crofty Croft gets us revved up and ready to go with the first Grand Prix of the F1 season this year year live from Bahrain and the ultimate yogi mystic and spiritual leader Sad Guru tells us about riding a motorcycle around the world to spread news of his global movement Save Soil. To guess what? Save our soil. Let's get right back to it now. Vasa, who's next? 
Our next guest is known for everything from wackaday to wacky shirts, inspiring art to stunning cycle rides, and of course, a giant pink foam mallet. He's now going to cycle 4,000 miles around Britain, painting as he goes. So please welcome the utterly brilliant Timmy Mallet! Yeah! Good boy, well, thank Timmy. you so much! <laughs> What's an introduction? Hey. He was so nervous about that. I practiced. Well, no, I practiced the impression. Well, well done. Mm, good. Yeah. Well, well done, uh, you Timmy. So you are setting off. You're cycling again. You've done this before. Um, the last time you went on a massive cycle was from Berkshire to Santiago to Compostela. But this is going to be further, even though you're not leaving the UK. Tell us more. Yeah. Uh, well, look, I did. Uh, I set off on my Camino to Santiago. Um, actually, four years ago today actually today uh, and it's sort of come around this idea of um uh, of having a, a go at something bigger uh, and this story um nobby starts 200 years ago um when there was a little tin pot dictator uh rampaging over europe and you couldn't go traveling to europe so artists like Turner and Constable said, you know what, we'll go and paint the glories of Britain. So they went off and painted the White Cliffs, Welsh castles, the highlands of Scotland, the Lake District uh, and uh, East Anglia, Northumberland. And, And they painted such stunning images. I thought, you know what, it would be really interesting to follow in their paint tracks and you know there's something about it isn't there a tin pot dictator and 200 years later it all sounds rather familiar to napoleon yeah well history does have this habit of repeating itself and we should watch out for those rhythms right so you're going to paint a picture every single day well that's the idea Uh, uh, on the back of my bike which by the way it's a brand new painted bike i painted this um with my good friend uh, uh stewie in camberley and he showed me how to put the paint on and lacquer it all up and it's just absolutely sparkling you'll see pictures of it everywhere because i'm i'm really rather proud of this so i picked it up yesterday and i'm going to set off on thursday uh, and the idea is i'm going to go clockwise so uh, i'll start Somewhere like Paddington Station, I think, you know, where everybody's going off to work and I'm just going off on a little bike ride. I'm going to set off going clockwise around the country and see how far I get with my paints, uh, um, painting as I go. Thinking about these artists who've done it before and seeing how it's changed. It's really to be... um, reassured i think about the familiarity of our beautiful country because it really is a stunning country and i um i think we should be celebrating it yeah i think it's you know to have the chance to do this why wouldn't you of course so um 100 days 100 paintings is what we're looking uh, well, at hang on hang on you know 100 days i'm not putting a deadline onto this i, I talked to a couple of people who have uh, attempted this before. Sean Conway is a good example. He's an ultra um, athlete uh, and he likes to be furthest, fastest, um, uh, fittest. And he said, don't put any pressure on yourself. And then I talked to Mel Nichols, who's a, um, a Paralympian, uh, and she cycled around the country uh, on a hand bike. Wow. Uh, and uh, she said, no pressure. Don't put any pressure on yourself. So I'm setting off with this idea that uh, around about 40 odd miles a day. So 4000 miles, that's about 100 days. Um, but, you know, <laughs> it may take a little longer, Nobby. <laughs> what are you going to do with all the canvases? Because you're going to have quite a haul by the end of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm hoping that um, I'll I'll send some of them home, and I'm right. hoping that Mrs. Mallet may 
turn up occasionally uh, <laughs> with a you know with a little embrace and a well done and uh, and perhaps bring some more that i've i've asked and she said i'll see how i feel right now <laughs> i know you've booked one b&b for the first night so so yeah. so how much organization has gone on beyond or for beyond that and you know health and safety and looking after yourself because there are there are you know marginal risks here You've got to be kind to yourself. You've got to have days off uh, and you've got to be in the moment. Uh, Look, I I haven't pre-booked things uh, on purpose because it's about being in the now. Um, uh, You know, if you if you pre-book things, you have to get there. It's always about reaching your target or about where you've come from. But what's wrong with the here and now? Uh, You you know, my dear brother, Martin, uh, uh, with down syndrome language and learning difficulties he always lived in the moment uh, and it, so it's about embracing who um, what happens i'll give you an example I, i'm cycling on saturday and a car pulls up alongside me and the driver winds down his window sticks his head out and he says nice e-bike but what about my uh, electric car and of course it I did a double take because it was you in that VW uh, saying it's a 1965 Beetle and it's been all electrified. Uh, and it, and suddenly we're, we're by the side of the road catching up and having a chat. And I'm thinking that's what's supposed to happen. And of course, you can do that on a bike uh, a lot easier. Well, Timmy, good luck. Uh, people can catch up with you or keep up with you at Timmy Mallet on Twitter. Anything else? Any Instagram yeah, action going on? I'm on all the different socials, so I'll be posting each day. And, you know, if you see me cycling past, and you won't miss it you know, because it'll it's quite a colourful bike and I do look fairly colourful, um, you know, a little wave and a, a greeting and a smile. That's all I'm asking. It's not I'm not asking for sponsorship or anything like that. It's about reaching your potential to see can it be done and how much fun can you have doing this journey? All right, well, stay safe. It's great to bump into you. Uh, not literally, otherwise this wouldn't be happening because you wouldn't be able to cycle anymore. I really that enjoyed Saturday. that, Nobby. That was a very special moment and I shall uh, absolutely adore it when I know one day I'll be pedalling along and it'll be in the middle of nowhere and there you'll be with your car coming up and saying, hello. All right. <laughs> okay, cool car, cool uh, guy, a cool challenge and a very, very cool uh, brand new bike. Look out for that. Timmy Mallet. 4,000 miles in a 100-day UK cycling tour or ish starts this Thursday. We're thinking probably Paddington down to Rochester to begin with and keep up with him on all social platforms at Timmy Mallet. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. All right, Vassos Alexander, over to you. He counts his crowds in hundreds of thousands and his online audience in billions. He is a spiritual leader, renowned yogi, best-selling author, mystic and poet. He's turning his focus from our soul to the soil as he launches the Conscious Planet movement, Save the Soil. So please welcome the guru, the guru's go-to. It's Sadhguru! It is Sadhguru. Good morning, Sadhguru. How is your sensory body this morning? I'm sorry, please. How is your sensory body this morning? (laughs) <laughs> very alert and alive <laughs> as usual thank you good for you. one thing i took care of if uh, other things around me whether it works or not i kept me i made sure that uh, this uh, fundamental mechanism which is the greatest gift that we have of being human i kept it always at its peak 
<laughs> I know, and it serves you so well, and it's serving the rest of us so well, and you look so fit and well, and thank goodness for that. Thank the, the universe for that. Thank all the higher powers for that. Right, Sagru, we don't have much time with you. I, I'm so thrilled you're on the show. Uh, let's hit this hard uh, straight off the bat. Save our soil. We have a motorcycling guru on our hands, everyone. Tell us more. Uh, Save Soil as a movement uh, has been on for over 24 years, where uh, we started in southern India uh, working in a river basin called Kaveri Basin, where uh, hundreds and thousands of farmers have uh, shifted to tree-based agriculture and regenerative agriculture. And as I see, uh, as I uh, travel and see more and more around the world, I've been seeing last 12, 15 years the soil issue is not just in India, it's across the world. And the depletion of soils have reached a point where uh, all the UN agencies are telling us we have only another 60 to 80 harvests left. That means 45 to 60 years max. Why we are driving it in this way is because uh, fundamental misunderstanding is we need to understand if we put organic content into sand, that becomes soil. If you take away all organic content from the soil, that becomes sand. So this is what we have been doing, that we have removed all the animals from the farms, we have removed all the trees from the farms, vegetative matters. So we are going for monoculture farming, which is uh, just everything taken out except what we want or what we think we want. So because of this, there is no organic content has gone down significantly. Because of this, uh, the biodiversity is dropping to an extent where uh, UNFAO says 27,000 species, 27,000 species of microbial life are vanishing per year. At this rate, in 30, 30 to 40 years' time, we're going to reach a place where our food production could come down by 50%. And in 30, 40 years, our populations are supposed to be over 9 billion and 40% uh, less food, that is a disastrous life. That's not a disaster, we should allow it to happen. And I realized we are at a cusp of time that we, if we act now with the necessary policy changes across the world, uh, then we can turn this around in 12 to 15 years' time. So Sadhguru is talking at the XL this Sunday here in London. Uh, find out more about everything uh, he concerns himself with and cares about by going to ConsciousPlanet.org, including, including Safe Soil. Just before you go, Sadhguru, and I know you're really busy, you know, and I know you're going to say now, I, the one thing I know is that I know nothing, but you do know loads of things, you know, your sort of your scientific insight and uh, and and level of information is pretty high. You make literary references all the time, uh, yet you claim not to read anything. By the way, I'm not challenging or questioning you. I just want to know because I know you're divine and I know you're a mystic, and I completely accept everything, most things you say, not everything, but <laughs> most things you say. And I've been following you for years. I've been to see you live. You may not know any of this, but it's all true. Uh, how how do you know the things you do know? Where when somebody asks you a question that you really haven't had any experience in and you answer it perfectly maybe comprehensively for maybe 15 or 20 minutes how does that work what happens to you when somebody asks you a question like that uh, taking soil into context people are asking me Sadhguru where you where did you study you did you study uh, you know agro uh, biology this that no I have not done any of those things I'm like a worm on this planet because a worm crawls upon the planet, it knows the texture and the feel of the planet, all right? And for six and a half decades, I've lived on this planet. People say, oh, we've also lived. No, you have not lived on this planet. Most people live in their head. 
because I got nothing here, I live on the planet. I think that's the best place to live. That is the only reality that we have. So, if you ask a worm, what is the present situation of the soil in which it is, it knows perfectly well because it affects its life. So, if I walk out on the outside, you know, if I'm on the soil, I can hear the screams of the soil. So, because this is about perception, this is not about knowledge. So, unfortunately, as generations, we have focused upon only acquiring, accumulating knowledge. This is, uh, I think, a hangover from, uh, you know, hunter-gatherer days, that you're always hunting for something and you want to gather that all the time. Hmm. No, the most important thing in human life is, if you are unaccumulated, you will have a very clear sense of perception. Having said that, about this soil movement, because everybody's asking, what should we do? Shall I roll up my sleeves, fix my garden? Oh, you fixing your garden is very cute and it's very needed, you must do it, but that's not a solution. Because the solution is in the agricultural lands, 71% of the world's land is under agriculture. So if this has to change, we need a policy change. If a policy change needs to happen, we must understand we are living in democratic societies. The citizens must express something because this is that kind of policy which takes 8, 10, 15 years to find effect. And our democratic uh, governments are only four, five or six years maximum in mm -hmm. most, most countries. So why would somebody take steps which will take 15 years to yield results unless people give them a mandate? We are willing for a long-term uh, investment in our lives. We don't want just trinkets from you. If people have not expressed this till now, so it is time to express what can you do means from 21st onwards, we are uh, getting probably flagged off from the Trafalgar Square. And 100 days, I am on the rally. I want you to understand I'm 65. 30,000 kilometers is not a joyride. If you have ridden motorcycles, you will know 30,000 kilometers is not a joyride. I'm, I'm in Northern Europe in the winter. Then I'm entering Arabia when it is uh, temperatures are over 38 degrees centigrade in the desert. Then I'm riding straight into the thick of the Indian monsoon. And on top of it, there is a war, okay? <laughs> so this is not a joyride. I just thought before I'm too old and no good for anything, I must do this because this is a generational responsibility. If we don't do this now, in another two decades, we will be a very regretful generation. I want to make sure that it doesn't go that way. Fortunately, countries are already responding. I'm also speaking at the COP15 in Ivory Coast, uh, by the UNCCD, UNCCD is our partners. So I'm addressing 170 nations. It looks very positive that all of them will take it to what extent they will implement, how soon is a question mark, but at least if it gets into the policy, implementation will inevitably come forth. All right. Well, as far as we're concerned here at Virgin Radio, live from the top of the tower in London, message received and understood, Sadhguru. And it's not about channeling or trying to discover the fact that you're superhuman. It's about realising that being a human is super. It is. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. You're awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Sadhguru, on the show. Can't quite believe that just happened, to be honest. For more about everything to do with Sadhguru, ConsciousPlanet.org. Go there now. 
The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Our next guest is an award-winning comedian, writer and actor who also, most impressively, won Series 11 of Taskmaster. When she's not cavorting with Rachel's husband, she's hiding dead bodies in Series 2 of her hit Sky original comedy, Frayed, which continues tonight at 10.30 on Sky Max. It's the awesome Sarah Kendall. Sarah Kendall. Hello. See, the other thing about your Hello. intros, Vassos, if people haven't seen season one and we encourage them enough to, to or nudge them towards Sarah's direction uh, enough for them to, to, to catch up on series one, there's a huge spoiler there. Yeah, but I haven't seen series one. Mm. Well, um, let me tell you, there's a dead body involved. Yeah, but... <laughs> Um, on this the, is going on, so well as an introduction. By the way. I don't watch it. I don't watch the show. I, I, I don't know who she is. On the previously, yes, which hooked me into series two, uh-huh. big style. Yeah. it did show the dead body. It's true. Sarah, Hi. congratulations, Afraid series two. I have watched it, yes. um, and it is the ultimate dramedy because that's what they call them, isn't it? It's a drama comedy. That's what they call it now. Okay, so if the comedy in your show mm. had a fight against the drama. Which would win? Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, pick a moment. Uh, I, I, I would hope the comedy would win. That would kind of, like, if it was like, if we were looking at percentages, I would hope that there were more. Uh, Knockout blows from the comedy. That's right. But that's what jabs wise to the solar plexus, maybe the, the drama would win. Yeah, okay. Yes. I think so. Yeah. I like it. And uh, obviously, it's set, it's set now. It's yes. set in the UK and it's set in Australia. And it's pretty even Stevens, actually, as far as those the, the sort of on screen time is concerned. Mm. So if the Australian bit of your dramedy mm. right frayed yes had to fight against the uk bit which would win that i think the australian bit would win because there's some um, oh rachel's nodding yeah. she's saying nothing but that, that doesn't work on radio you gotta you know she's nodding emphatically agree, i've been telling her for 10 years <laughs> uh so yeah i think the australia uh, probably because that's like where we really ratchet up the tension and uh the the, the sort of the noose tightens around our characters throats. okay uh, so, so from a catch-up point of view do you want to frame how to get people back to see you know episode one season one because you know if they're up to speed anyway yeah. they'll be they'll be tuning in but we need to preach to the unconverted yes uh basically uh i run away uh my character is a liar and she's run away from her past and then she gets landed back in australia uh and then they accidentally kill a guy and uh <laughs> series two is kind of uh clean by the way, by the way that's it's all in there that's it isn't it <laughs> that's it in 25 words uh, yeah but she's she's posh she's privileged yes, yes. Uh, she's middle to upper class yeah she's only... she's fake she's a big fake she's pretending that she's quite posh and then it turns out she's a piece of trash from australia so. right and so how does she how does she lose everything why does she need to flee and uh, this is in season one by the way from the uk to us yes uh well uh, her husband dies in a, an incident with a professional sex worker and uh in uh, when he dies she finds out they're completely broke so all of their wealth was just uh, the whole thing yeah. or was it was it not down to the d- dastardly lawyer well who knows who, robert webb the dastardly lawyer robert yeah. webb uh who was also in season two um who else is in season oh, Carrie godleyman is in yeah, season yeah. two diane morgan um She's uh, in season two. <laughs> I See, to... Now, I like the big house that you left behind, yes. that, that you revisit. I don't like the, the sort of flea-bitten um, sort of bedsit that you're sharing with your kids when you come back to, yeah. to, to the UK. Yeah. But, um, but I do love the Australian aspect. We talked about this last time you came on. Yes. I just want to live... I, a, I want to live in that bit of Australia. Mm. B, I want to hang out with everybody that's in your bit of Australia, in the in, in Fraid, that is. Yeah. Uh, and also, but I also want to live in the era because yeah. where, what are we talking... What years are we talking? It was not in the late 80s, but right. I will say this, Chris, I feel like you and I have, dare I say, similar complexions. 
Any ideas you have about loving living in Australia will be blown out of the water when you arrive and you are just... It, it, you just burn. All you're going to do is burn. Really? You're going to chase shade all day. Well, yesterday, it was a bit sunny in London and I had to do that. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It was March the 15th. Yeah, it's insane. You're like, I'm actually coming out like a slight, like a slapped complexion. Yeah, yeah. And it's March 15th, yeah. Okay, uh, so yeah. every character in your show is extraordinary and they've all got their own thing going on mm. and they all have a little spotlight of their own in which to bask, don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, sort of, I really wanted it to be a, a really strong ensemble cast because it's like really funny people and all the, like, great actors and so I just sort of, I, I'm... Yeah, uh, the di- the dynamics are really fun on set as well. And wh- why the late eighties? I mean, it does lend itself to vet funny fashion, funny hairdos. Yeah, you know, I mean, to be honest, the hair and the shoulder pads—that's that, not late eighties for me. That's sort of eighty three, eighty four ish. That's the vibe it feels like. Yeah, right, right. I thought I, I mean. I do love it. I, I look good in shoulder pads. That's the other thing. Like, I did sort of go, oh, that'd be hilarious. And then I put on the costumes and went, I've never looked this good. Like, I've just been born into the wrong era. Like, um, yeah. I, do you know what? I think I'm more red than you. I get red. Do you think so? Oh, well, no, I get red. Look, I'm red now. I'm just, I just get red. Because you, you, you seem to be one of those annoying fair skinned people, which also, who can also, I pre, I presume, mm. can rock a tan given a bit of uh, a bit of effort and strategy. That's an interesting. No, I, you're so wrong. I, I I go, I burn, and yep. then uh, I shed the skin like a snake, and right. then I'm back to square one. Right. Uh, but you also have this amazing mane of hair. Yeah, I got yeah, which sometimes really, really like amazing hair. It's good hair, isn't it? It's amazing. So, so for your for your show, mm. how do you what where, what do you hide that under? How do you how do you put that away? <laughs> how do you put that back in its box for filming? Do you are you assuming that I'm wearing a wig? When I'm doing the show. Yeah. No, it's my hair. I had my hair cut into that. Why does everyone... It's Diane Morgan. Diane Morgan keeps on tweeting that it's a wig because she thinks it's funny. It was not a wig. It was my It was my hair. Because well, it's so it's so convincing. It's, the, the hair's grown back now. Look, it took a year to grow back. But that I, fringe I, was quite a commitment. The fringe no, was a horror ha, show. Hang on a minute. I, yeah. It's got a fringe. She's got fringe and she's got the curtains. She's got the flake curtains. Yeah. And yeah. you've got the bob. Yeah. It's just a collision of hair, hairdos. Do you know who we based that on? Do you remember the way Linda Evans had her hair in yes, dynasty I do. it's the linda evans that was the dynasty haircut oh no i've got dallas in my head that's, that's dynasty, isn't it? now do dallas instantly that's incredible we played this game. okay now do raiders of the lost ark Oh. And then do Jaws, and then do Star Wars. That's, John, that's the John Williams challenge. No, well, Superman's in there as well. Oh yeah, but I, Superman's easy to remember. All you've got to do da, is bear da, him. Da, 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 da. That's that's Star Wars. No, that's Superman. No, that is Star Wars. Superman is. Yeah, fair enough. I love the fact you fell victim to your own challenge. I oh no, I never, I never issued the challenge. Going, hey guys, I'm brilliant at this. Well, you sort of did. You did. You think that was coded into the challenge? Tacitly, you did. So anytime you lay down a challenge, you're implicating I can do this. Yeah, fair. That's actually a good point. Sarah, well done. Thanks. Congratulations. Thanks. Uh, Frayed Series 2, Sky Original. It's a Sky Original, and thank heaven that Sky and other companies like this are knocking out these originals because they're awesome. Frayed Series 2 continues tonight, 10.30pm on Sky Max. The whole series is also available on demand, and you can catch up on the first season as well. You have been listening to Sarah Kendall, Vassos Alexander, Rachel Hall, the whole team, and even little old me. Goodbye. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. It's fair to say our teenagers heard of our next guest before we did, but we're now part of his small but perfectly formed fan base. 
of 100 million. The TikTok superstar is representing the UK at Eurovision and hoping to swap nul point for full marks. So here with the first ever live radio performance, it's Sam Ryder with Spaceman. If I was an astronaut, I'd be floating in midair And a broken heart would just belong to someone else down there I would be the center of my lonely universe But I'm only human and I'm crashing down to I'm up in space Yes, that's awesome. That was awesome. Oh my Thanks goodness so me. Much, man. This is so surreal. It's quite surreal <laughs> for me, so I've got to be honest. Right, so who's on key, Sam? This is Jay. Hi, Jay. How are you doing, Jay, man? this is Chris. Do you know Chris? Nice to see oh, you. Yeah. Oh, wow. That was unbelievable. I mean, that was really awesome. <laughs> Thanks so much. Oh. Pleasure to be on the show, man. Uh, Thank pleasure you. to have you on the show in the sunshine right here, uh, live on the 17th floor. So, Sam, you are no spring chicken, where, but where have you hatched from all of a sudden? Um, well, I've been playing at weddings uh, over the last eight years, and big up to anyone listening who had me at their wedding. It's, uh, By the way, lucky couples to get um, you at the well, wedding. Did they have any <laughs> idea how good you were till the night? <laughs> they were amazing. I, I wouldn't be here without it. All that practice, um, and then... TikTok and Instagram, just singing in the corner of my shed. Well, hang on a minute, because you're leaving a few details out there. I know they're the headlines, but how do, how do you get from one to the other? And how did TikTok, TikTok um, land for you? How did it, how did it catch fire for you? Um, well, I think at the beginning of lockdown, obviously all the weddings stopped happening. Right. So I wanted to keep singing and, to be, to be honest, Chris, just keep my spirits up. So I just stood in the corner of my room with my phone. And usually I am the sort of person that overthinks everything. Right. And I'd want to make, you know, like Join a the club. Steven Spielberg sort of like video if I was going to sing in it. And, um, and obviously it would never turn out good and it would never happen. So I'd never do anything. And, um, but yeah, the beginning of lockdown, I thought to tackle that, all I'm going to do is just lift my phone up right. in front of my stupid face <laughs> and sing into Beautiful it face. nonstop for, um, well, for as long as we were... There. What was the first thing you did? What was the first song you sang? Uh, it was Britney Spears in the kitchen. <laughs> and then a cappella. Uh, yes, yeah, okay. it was. All and right. then it moved into, and I know what you're going to ask me. Right yeah, I know, I know, you're going to deliver, mate. Don't worry about that. <laughs> Give us a bit of Britney, go on. My loneliness is killing me. And I, I must confess, I still believe. Right. When I'm yeah. not with you, I lose my mind. And I think, yeah, we yeah, you know, know. <laughs> we get the gist. We get the gist. All right. So, so, that, so, so, how did that go down? Was that like an instant hit? People yeah, I mean, that. it was. Um, I remember waking up in the morning and two million people had seen it. Which two is million? Ridiculous. It's funny, isn't it? How it worked. And was that straight away on TikTok or was that? Yes, on that was on TikTok. So. I, that was the first thing I'd posted on TikTok and I didn't really, um, I guess I'd, I'd looked at the app before, but it was tons of people just dancing and stuff like that. And I can't dance. So I thought maybe I singing can. can kind of work on here. I bet you here. can dance. And then, <laughs> no, I can't. Promise. Of course you Don't. can. <laughs> if you're a wedding singer, of course you can. I mean, and, um, it yeah, it, it kind of worked with Britney. Like, and then I sort of thought, well, we might be onto something here. Right. So, 
And I couldn't keep doing it in the kitchen because, you know, I needed to use the kitchen. So I went into the shed <laughs> and there was like a green lamp in the background that became sort of the star of the show. Yes. And um, yeah, it, it all went from there. So for show business, see shed business to begin with and off you go. Um, big hits, Rihanna, you do, can you give us a bit of Rihanna or not? It's up to um, you. It's up to you. No, I want you to stay. I can't remember the name. <laughs> I'm on the spot. <laughs> Louis, so, can you help me out? What's the next line? <laughs> um, but it's interesting, isn't it? Is it because of the juxtaposition of the way you look and the songs you chose? Do you think, to, to begin with, do you think that was it? Um, I, I don't want to think about it too much because yeah. that always gets me into bother. No, you're right, you're right, you're right. Okay, but, um, forget all that. No, it, no, forget all that. Yeah. I don't want to be responsible for bringing you down <laughs> when you are flying so high, my friend. Thank but, you, you know, man. if you get two million hits overnight having never done it before, which is incredible, isn't it? It's not like, because TikTok, that, they, they, they must sort of, um, they must monitor these things. And is it like, you know, if, if you enter the lottery online and you, you win big, they phone you up the next day. Did TikTok get in contact with you because you have too many hits? What well, happens for me, next? It was, I mean, TikTok is such a, a wild platform. And in its infancy, um, there were kind of videos that were getting tens and millions of views right, okay. that I was seeing from other creators but I'd never had a video that even got near that in the past so for me it was like a, a big day and I know there's probably people listening to the show that have got TikTok and they're like two million is nothing do you know what well, I mean but like for me a... it was amazing but it's it just like... two million people though, exactly it? well, so yeah. it's, not, it's not nothing absolutely that's I mean this is my mindset about it it's um just it, it was the spark that ignited everything and then from there I got to um, well, I was singing Sia songs yeah. in the shed corner. Although he doesn't then, love Sia. She's crazy. I know, she's, she's crazy, crazy and crazily fantastic. Absolutely. And she, she um, was like, amazing, like so graceful. She posted the video that I'd sung of her song. And for me, like she's my vocal hero. Yeah, yeah. And also like she just seems like such a cool person. So to have someone like that, fight, like kind of just encouraging you and fighting your corner. Was that like the biggest moment for you? I'd say in lockdown, definitely. Right, and since then. So how did this all happen? I, I can't tell you. It just Is all it a of secret? a sudden, Sia's <laughs> sitting on her couch and then posting my video. <laughs> so, what, so, what, so what happens now? So, the, so then, um, so a big management company are, are challenged with the responsibility of trying to get us a decent Eurovision song. Is that mm -hmm. what happens? Yes, so, I so believe. Who, so who are they and then what happened next and how come you're here? So um, I, I believe a consultancy company was hired by the BBC this right. year. This is like Ellie Goulding's people. And, yeah, absolutely, right. yeah. And uh, I, I first heard about Eurovision in January. Um, obviously not the first time I'd ever heard about Eurovision, but <laughs> in January I was asked if I'd be interested in doing it. Mm. And um, I was on tour at the time and it was my first tour since like being in you know, my shed again yeah, for the you, last two years. You've been in bands and you've been on proper yeah. tours as well, haven't you? Yes, yeah, yeah. But only like... Kind of, this was my first real experience of, I guess, playing to people <laughs> that yeah. actually turned up to the shows. Because yeah, yeah. I'd played at bars and no one would be there. But, you know, for, for those years, you're living on hope and just loving the, the dream and uh, doing it just for the singing itself. And then I'm in a position where in January, I went on my first headline UK tour and there were actually people, Chris, in the room. Yeah, so they had come to do something else and you happened to be on. Uh, you, they came to see you and maybe did something else. Exactly, well. yeah. So that's so <laughs> cool, man. Well done, mate. Thanks to Jay. Thanks to your whole team. And just good, good luck in Eurovision. But, uh, you know, I'm sure that hopefully will end up being a sideshow to the rest of your career, pal. Oh, it's, I'm, I'm already 
stoked about it, man. What an opportunity to just even be in a room with those amazing songwriters and performers all around Europe. It's, um, it's a privilege. And thank you so much again, Chris, Rachel, all the team. Bless you. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Fast cars, <laughs> glamorous locations and a real gift of the gab. Our next guest may as well be James Bond. The all-new Formula One season begins tomorrow on Sky Sports F1 with all new cars, all new intrigue. So please welcome live from Bahrain, the car brain of David Croft. Hey! Good morning, Crofty. Come in Bahrain. Morning, morning, everybody. How are you? Um, Crofty, we are A, amazing, B, amazing, all the way to Z. Gorgeous weather here. Unbelievable. I'm sure it's nice where you are. But we're heading towards a heat wave this weekend, which could break all records for a spring heat wave here in the UK, 22.7 degrees plus. So that's all good. But I've got to tell you, I've never been more excited about an F1 season because there's never been this revolution in real changes where nobody really knows what's going to happen. I mean, after the first Grand Prix, we'll know. But uh, this weekend, you know, any, literally anything could happen on that track. I've been here uh, for about a week now and I was here for all three days of testing and watching the cars intently, talking to the drivers. And I still don't know really what the pecking order is other than Red Bull look quite good, other than Ferrari has got an amazingly stylish car, other than Mercedes have got pace, but there's a bit too much bounce in their car as well. As for the midfield, saw that out yourself. I really haven't got a clue. And isn't that brilliant? We've spent all winter long looking at these rule changes, seeing the cars launch, lots of different designs and styles. And it's only when I think we get to qualifying, we're going to get a true visualization of what the pecking order could be. And that's brilliant because Formula One has lacked variety for far too long. And this season, I think we've got it by the uh, the bucket and spade load, which is quite suitable already for this place. There's sand everywhere. Yeah, if you've been tempted to watch Formula One before in your life, but you've never done that for one reason or another, this might be the weekend to do it. OK, I'm giving it the big sub because because literally anything could happen. And, you know, if 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 you say it's a, it's a level playing field as far as nobody really knows, um, you know, how the weekend's going to play out, one has to say the reason Red Bull might have an advantage now, uh, which is what you were alluding to there, is because they do have, don't they? They do have the most successful um, uh, designer of Formula One cars mm. in the history of the sport working for them. And if everybody has to start from scratch, which they did this summer, it's, you know, it doesn't take a, a Sherlock Holmes to figure out that, that Adrian Newey and Red Bull may have just a natural advantage because he knows how to design a car from scratch. And I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Chris, not for the first time in your life, because Adrian Newey uh, is the man who was, um, well, he was involved in, in ground effects aerodynamics way back in the 80s. And that's what we've got a lot of this year with the new Formula One cars. It's a different philosophy for aerodynamics, a different way of, of sucking the car down to the ground so it can take the corners uh, without going off the track. Adrian was there back in the 80s. And he's still there at his design board now. So all the, the things he got right, and more importantly, the things he got wrong back in the 80s, he's managed to put into this Red Bull car. And a lot of the modern-day designers weren't around. Doesn't mean they don't understand ground effect, but it, they, they weren't around back in the day. So this is a very new concept for them, for Adrian. It's right. Let me just get out my plans from 1982 <laughs> and see what happened there. And literally sharpen my pencil, because he still designs yes. freehand, doesn't he? Yeah, it, it is utterly incredible. I, I, I joke that that man can visualise airflow and then just jot something down uh, to put on a car. But I think he literally can. He's an utter genius. He doesn't, he doesn't use computers. They take his drawings and then they have to put it into their CAD files 
after Adrian's finished doodling. All right, let's talk about um, uh, some sort of star quality, super star quality, all the showbiz, all the glitz, the glamour, and the drivers for this year. Musical chairs um, you know, in, in the downtime. Uh, what's happened? Who's driving what where? Right, so Lewis Hamilton's got a new teammate, and that's the big driver change. George Russell finally gets his full-time chance at the big team. He stood in for Lewis Hamilton here in Bahrain on the outer loop on the Sakir Grand Prix and should have won that race, but had problems with punctures and pit stops, and you name it, it went against him. But George Russell is young and he's keen and he's hungry and he's been a Mercedes driver for a while and he's now got his chance and he's going to give Lewis Hamilton a run for his money. But Lewis Hamilton is coming off the back of the most controversial controversial ending to a Formula One season that we've ever seen and he means business this year. That is a brilliant rivalry uh, at Mercedes and well, only one can win. I've put my money on Lewis Hamilton winning out eventually, but but George will push him harder than Valtteri. Valtteri's gone to Alfa Romeo. Alex Albon is back. This time he's driving for Williams. We have the first ever Chinese race driver, uh, Guan Yu Zhou, um, who, who lived in Sheffield for many years as a youngster, uh, born in Shanghai. He's driving for Alfa Romeo as well. Uh, Sergio Perez is still with Max Verstappen. Uh, but Ferrari arguably had the... I think the overall best driver lineup in Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc. And with a car that looks like it's ready to take on the world, Ferrari, to me, are the outsiders to look at for potential constructors' champions. That, that car's good. All right, Crofty, have a great one. I literally can't wait for this weekend. I'm so, so excited. Oh, me too. It's going to be absolutely epic. Don't miss the season opener. Um, can I just say, my friend, another friend of mine, Jewsbury, yesterday, he's having a baby, bless his heart. Aww. His wife... His wife has arranged for him to go to a baby fair on Sunday afternoon. And he's like, no, I don't care if it's our first child or not. I'm watching the Grand Prix because it's only live once. It's nice to know the advertising message has got out there. Good luck with that, pal. Um, I don't think that's going to land very well. Uh, what, what time does it all kick off on Sky Sports F1 tomorrow? Uh, tomorrow? Uh, you don't know, do you? He doesn't know! I, I love it! He, see, Japanese ambush. We caught him right in the last hurdle. Oh, it was all going so well, wasn't it? Crofty. Yeah, it's half one on Sunday, I think. I yeah, forget know, it. All right, bye. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Thank you so much for listening to this, the podcast of the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show. Don't forget you can subscribe and get it every week from wherever you get your podcast and you will never miss the weekly roundup of all the best bits from our Virgin Radio Breakfast Show with Sky.